If you would, take your Bibles with me, please. Turn to Ephesians 4. By the way, Children's Church, you are dismissed. I'm sorry if I didn't bring that up. Ephesians chapter 4. And what I want to do is I want to pick up where we left off last week because I had more sermon than I had time. As if you're not accustomed to that. But this is a this is a point about the body of Christ that is vital for us to understand. The sheer fact that the church exists is a gift of God's grace. And it is in blatant response to the rejection of Israel to their promised Messiah. They were given all the information you could possibly ask from God to not just pave the way for the one that was promised to save them, but to set them up for full recognition for when he arrived. And in a scary instance that repeats itself often in Scripture, you find that the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, spoke on behalf of the people and decided that they were going to take the works of the Holy Spirit that were being done through Jesus, and they were going to give the credit to Satan. At that moment, Jesus turned away from that nation. He said, I tell you the truth. You will not see me again until you drink from the vine in paradise. In other words, not until the end of the age. And God has not removed His hand from Israel, but has altered the timeline. He has set them aside for a time. And He has brought in this brand new entity through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Wherein, if someone hears the gospel, and that could be as simple as John 3.16, God loves you. God gave Jesus for you to die for your sins because you can't die for your sins. So God did all the work for you through His Son. If you believe in Him, not behave in Him, let's get that clear. There's no amount of good behaving we could ever do to get eternal life. But as far as believing, do I accept that as true? You will not perish, no hell for you. Instead, you get eternal life as a free gift. Now this is incredible. Because what this does is this takes regardless if you're a Jew or regardless if you're a Gentile, which is everyone who's not a Jew, it doesn't matter. You hear the same message, you respond to that message, you're now brought into this brand new thing called the church. It's something new that God is doing. In fact, it's called one new man in Christ. And he has such eloquent ways of painting what he desires for us, for you, for me as a whole. For instance. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That word means masterpiece. Do you feel like a masterpiece this morning? I feel like a piece of work this morning, you know? But a masterpiece. You are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them should. We are His masterpiece. 
Now that's mind-blowing to me. What you find, and when you move forward to Ephesians chapter 4, is he said, now that you understand the grace that's been unfolded for you, how about we walk in such a way as in light of that grace? Now what that's not is, I need to get my act together. Let's go ahead and cut all that stuff out. Let's go ahead and come to the sober realization of, I'm never going to get my act together. And you know what? That's okay. Because Jesus still died for me. Because I can't get my act together. I will never get myself straight. It will never happen. That's only by supernatural means that I can get taken care of. In fact, what I find out is, is how I get my act together is, is by not looking at myself at all. But just looking at Jesus constantly. Because I'm not worried anymore about what I'm doing or not doing. I'm no longer keeping a scorecard. Anybody keep a little piece of paper in your shirt pocket where you keep a scorecard of your sins? Anybody? You should try that sometime. It's a lot of fun. You do? You don't even have any pockets on your shirt. (laughs) Who said that? Wow. If he doesn't have any pockets on his shirts, he must be doing okay. Lord, have mercy. But what we find is, is that when we're so mindful of ourselves, we're actually being selfish. Let's be honest. Because we're only concerned about our performance. Here's the amazing thing. God is not concerned about our performance. In the church, in this age of grace, He's concerned about us looking to His Son. Performance will follow. Look to His Son. Let Him do the work through you. And that's this brand new amazing thing that we are to be shining to the entire world. With Israel, something separate and previous to the church, it was live in such a way to obey God so that the nations will notice and want to come in and join you. With the church it is, get a full picture of the salvation that you didn't deserve that's been freely given to you. And because of that grace, live a life to where you go out and you share that with others. Different marching orders. And so here we stand as seeking to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling we've been given. And we're going to pick up in verse 7 here. Here's what he says. But to each one of us, every believer in Christ, grace was given. And remember, this is an endowment. He didn't just save us. He gave you lots of stuff too. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. When you become a believer in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit who now indwells you. That sounds spooky. How is he going to fit? It's no problem for him. Sometimes you tell kids, the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you. They get freaked out real quick because they think it's such concrete terms. You've got to be careful. But the Holy Spirit has no problem taking up residence in our spirit. And now the very life of Christ is in us. Now, I didn't do anything to deserve that. That's grace. It's grace because God keeps wanting to give, and I'm so undeserving. We are all so undeserving. And yet He gives and gives and gives. Therefore, it says, He ascended on high. 
He led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And this is where we stopped at last week. He ascended on high. He led a host of captives, or he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. If we compare this to where it's quoted from in the Old Testament in Psalm 68, here's what we find. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. And why do you look with envy, O mountains, with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired for His abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands, and the Lord, Adonai, is among them as at Sinai in holiness. And then here's where he quotes it. And if you remember, we talked about how Bashan is an actual geographical location. It's got a large mountain range that is there. And the mount that is the highest there is Mount Hermon, has the highest peaks. And they had taken those highest peaks and they had actually turned it into a place of cult worship where all kinds of vile and vulgar things went down throughout the centuries, regardless of what people group came in. At the base of that mountain is a place known as Caesarea Philippi. And that is the place where God declares that with the gospel that Peter pronounced, ushering in the church age, that the gates of hell would not overcome the church. It was a victory stance. Now this is incredibly significant, because on this mountain, as in many different places located throughout the world, there are these little caves where the god Pan, you've seen him, the horned fruit flute guy. Everybody know him? That guy. Where he's worshipped. And people still bring offerings to those places today. So you talk about we've got something kind of weird going on in the spirit realm today. Very much so. God declares there will be no victory for the forces of darkness against the church. Jesus Christ has established the victory for us. It's not a victory that we gain. It's a a victory that's been given. So this is why verse 18, Psalm 68, you can just see it up on the screen. Here's what it says. You've ascended on high. Has Jesus Christ ascended on high? He has. Notice it says here, you've led captive your captives. Now that had to be an interesting sight. Because that means that there were some dark spiritual forces that were going. Can you imagine the line? Because Jesus Christ is victorious. The very thing that demons want to use to trip us up is sin. What did Jesus die for? Sin. How much sin? All sin. Here's the question. If Jesus Christ died for all sins, what do they have to use against us? Ah. Isn't that interesting? If we could only get that truth in our minds. Because spiritual warfare is a real thing. We're going to see that today and we're going to talk about how do you deal with it? How do you handle it? He led those evil forces captive. He arrested them. It says here, you have received gifts from men. Now remember, the variation is in Psalm 68, you've received gifts from men. In Ephesians 4, it's, you gave gifts to men. You say, okay, the Bible's contradicting itself. Why is that? It's not. Anytime that a general and his army would go in at that time, and they would take over the enemy, and they would lead them back in chains, and they would parade them through the streets, 
so that everybody could go, ha ha, your mommy couldn't save you on this one, could she? Right? If Jay's the only one that has fun today, we're in trouble. Okay? Just letting you know. But Jesus has now overcome everything that was ever a threat to you and I. Everything. Because he's a sufficient Savior. He does a perfect job. And so a general would bring in all of these captives. The enemy's defeated. We're having a parade. It's awesome. And before they left, they took all their stuff and loaded it up and paraded through as well. Why? Look at what we got. We took it all. Plunder. It's a good word, right? And when they got back, they would turn around the gifts that they've taken and they would distribute it to everybody that was involved in the campaign and even over into the city itself. So receiving gifts, yep. Distributing gifts, yeah. Jesus has died in such a way that has taken spiritual forces out of the picture. If we will simply abide in the truth of his death and resurrection. But when we get our eyes off of that already victory that he secured, that's when the enemy seeks to get involved to throw us off track. So now I want to give you some instances of this. And I'm going to ask you to start with me in Ephesians chapter 1. That's why I didn't necessarily want you to go to Psalms. You can see it on the screen. But go to Ephesians 1. We're going to start in verse 15. This is a transition in chapter 1. Paul moves into prayer mode. And while the prayer is great, we could spend weeks and months going through this prayer because it's so incredible. But I want to show you some elements that are very important about what the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ does in the spiritual realm. Okay? Look at verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith of your... Back up. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who what believe so you had to have heard the gospel responded to it in faith and in doing so the power of god is now fully yours to be used and notice how it's described there the surpassing greatness of his power toward us If you believe, the surpassing greatness of God's power is in your corner. Now, that's a big deal. And notice that this this prayer is Paul saying, I just want you to recognize this in your life. I want you to understand the abundance that stands in your favor, graced to you because of what Jesus has done. It's beyond what we can grasp. And here's what he says. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Now, how do we have an example of the strength of his might? Verse 20. 
which he brought about in Christ. Notice that Christ is the example again. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Here's what that's telling you. The power, the surpassing power that is available to you and I in Christ is the same power that God exercised when he gave life to Jesus' dead body and didn't just raise him up physically, but then ascended him to to a privileged position at his right hand. That's the power that's available to you and me. You say, I don't know if I could possibly believe that. That's because it's grace. It's grace that he gives that to us. And every single person in here, there are no second, third, fourth, first class Christians and kind of thing. We're all on level playing ground at the cross. All the ground is equal. And all the grace is lavished freely. It's ours. It's ours. The amazing thing about transforming grace is it's enacted in our life at the moment we believe it. Not that we do anything for it. It's there waiting to be had if we will simply believe what the Scriptures say. So now look at verse 21. Notice that he's been been seated at the right hand in the heavenlies. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, not only now, but in the one to come. Everybody see those four things there. Rule, all rule, authority, all authority, power, all power, dominion, all dominion. Inside your handout, you have a little sheet that I put in there. It's only a one-pager, ain't going to kill you. I'm not even going to read the big paragraph in the middle. That's just for your information purposes. But here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to sit down with the Greek lexicon. And here's what that is, essentially. As you figure out what the Greek word is, it's being used for particular things in the passage. You go to this book. This book gives you all the possible meanings in the semantic range of that Greek word and gives you the various instances that they believe that those apply to. And so if you'll notice, like for the first one, rule, RK is what I have. And everybody see that it's got a six and a circle around it on the screen. It doesn't have the circle. But everybody see where it says six? That means that this word, this is the sixth meaning of this word that's possible. So I gave you the numbers of where they fall in definition. It's an authority figure who initiates activity or process. Also, of angelic or transcendent powers. Since they were thought of as having a political organization. Anybody believe that there's some transcendent spiritual things going on in a political organization? Let that one sit on you for a little while and you think about it, right? But here's what's interesting. That's straight from the lexicon. That's not from me. They're saying one of the understandings of this word is is it's used of spiritual unseen forces. Well, what's this saying about Jesus? It's saying that the power exercised and him being seated above is because he finds himself in a place of preeminence over these other spiritual rankings of unseen things. That's interesting. In fact, if you notice the next line, translated principalities. This word rule was translated as principalities in Romans 8.38. Why? I don't know. But that's how the English translators sought to translate it. Now you have these other instances here that are used, but notice in all of them that I've put down on here, the word is used to describe dark spiritual forces. Those that would otherwise seek to oppress the people of Christ. Notice down at the next one, skip the paragraph, you can read that later. By the way, 
Uh, if you have the means to get this resource, it's incredibly helpful. It really is. It gives you a lot of things to think about. And I know, oh, it's freaky and it's weird. But down at the bottom, if you notice, in my little uh, footnotes down there, that paragraph is from the Dictionary of Deities and Demons in the Bible. Talk about impressing your friends when they come over for a night of charades on that one, right? Oh, I see you have the Dictionary of Deities and Demons in the Bible on your mantle. Yes, I do. <laughs> Open it up, start talking to them about it. Notice the next word, authority. Authority, this is the word exousia. And it's interesting because it's sometimes used for the word power. This is the fifth possible definition. It's the bearer of ruling authority, but the B understanding of that fifth understanding of it. Everybody with me on that? Of transcendent rulers and functionaries, powers of the spirit world. And notice this isn't the only place that it's mentioned. 1 Corinthians 15, Colossians 2, 1 Peter 3. The next one, power, dunamis. It's the fifth definition, an entity or being, whether human or transcendent, that functions in a remarkable manner. Power as a personal transcendent spirit or heavenly agent or angel. And there you have the listings for that. Notice also we saw all dominion. Dominion, curiotes. Probably saying that wrong. Pastor Steve will tell you what the right pronunciation is. Notice it's the third definition here. A special class of angelic powers, bearers of the ruling power and dominions. Now just in this one passage, stop and think about what this is saying. God is saying, well let's back up. Paul is praying that everybody in the church, you and I, would begin to get a glimpse into all that is available to us because of Jesus' obedience in dying on the cross, willing to face death on our behalf, dying for us perfectly, being raised by the power of the Father from the dead, and also ascended to a position of privilege there. And when we see these, or you've got rule and authority and power and dominion, and what you find out is that all of these spiritual beings were all in ruling positions where they reigned over something. In fact, if we search our Old Testament, we find that some of them have been ascribed stewardship over other nations besides Israel. Israel is God's nation. And so if that is the case, and Jesus comes triumphant over all of those things, Paul's saying, I just want you to know how powerful Jesus was for you because you now have that power. It's power to overcome dark spiritual forces. Now, we live in a day and age that has gone rampant. And I'll, I'll be easy on everybody here. On advice. If we could just get some advice. You know I love Oprah. Oprah loves to give advice. Dr. Phil loves to give advice. Whoopi Goldberg loves to give me advice. All those other people that I can't stand but don't know their names. Everybody's got advice somewhere. Let's be honest. Some of us have checked our horoscopes before because we believed it was actually going to tell us what the day was going to be like. What is wrong with us? Somehow the newspaper guy knew and we didn't. We didn't seek out God. Anybody love looking at Ann Landers or Dear Abby? 
I don't understand what my husband's problem is. He's a sinner. He needs a savior. He's not going through a midlife crisis. He's using his age as an excuse to be obese. Uh, Well, yeah, obese, sure. (laughs) Or over-exercises authority or abusive or chalking it up to other things of why you're getting treated so badly. Guess what? You can get rid of all the diagnosis of the world and you can just put one label out there that says sinner. And that deals with it. See, we don't like that. Because now it becomes too simple. I can't blame my mom anymore for what happened to me. Because I'm a victim. We're all victims. And what you actually find out is, is what matters is, is my personal response to a holy God who made me in loving care, who has lavished loving kindness on me, and has sent his son to die for me so that grace would overflow upon me and power would be available to me to overcome the dark forces that are constantly trying to invade my mind to get me to think contrary to his ways. Honestly, that's as simple as it is. That's what we deal with all the time. Every time. But we've got to start understanding the superiority of Jesus over those things. And if we're His, and we're living in the light of that Hisness, I don't know what else to call it, but the fact that we belong, we are tethered to Christ. Our life is hidden with Him in God, Colossians 3.3 tells us. If that's the case, We don't need to get spooked out by spiritual warfare. We just simply claim our place in Christ and move on with life. We just be obedient because of the power that's already available in us from Him, never of ourselves. Because let's be honest, anytime that advice comes your way, it's trying to get you to draw off your own resources, yeah? I don't know about you, but this well's not that deep. It doesn't taste very good. Something has soured the water. There's not much here. In Christ are riches forevermore. That never runs out. That's a reservoir that you can never run dry. And that's what Paul desires for us. Understand that spiritual forces are in the mix, but understand this even more. Jesus Christ conquered all those things. Let's look at two other examples here. Turn with me to Colossians 1. Over to the right just a little bit. couple books, Philippians, Colossians, Colossians 1. I'll tell you what, Colossians is a great book, Christ-exalting book. Read it. Do your devotions through it sometime this week. It's fantastic. Colossians 1, we're going to start in verse 13. Here's what it says. For He, that's God, He rescued us from the domain of darkness. That's where we all were. That's where we all started. We were all in the domain of darkness. Or, let's put it a little bit simpler. We all lived in such a way as to where we really didn't care what God's opinion was about our lives. We were going to do what we wanted to do. So we lived a life apart from Him, and that's actually in darkness. Now, we would ever say that. In fact, we have a whole time period in our history that we've allowed for our history books to set aside called the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment was, let's reject God. I don't know about you, but that's fool's talk. We've rejected the Creator of all things because we've reached new levels, and new planes of understanding. By the way, notice that they're all discoveries. That's because God had it there the whole time. He was just waiting for them to come upon it. That's important. 
But in doing so, rejecting God, we now find ourselves in a higher plane. No, 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 no. That's worldly thinking. That's not God thinking. God rescued us in Christ from that domain of darkness. And look what it says that He did. He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because all of our sins are forgiven in Christ. He died for all of them. Verse 15, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And remember, that means He has a special status. He's at the right hand of the Father. He has a special status, the firstborn of God. For by Him all things were created. Now watch this. Both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Now watch these words. Whether thrones, we haven't seen that one before, but that's actually at the bottom of your paper I gave you. Notice what it says. Third definition, name of a class of powerful beings, earthly or transcendent, the enthroned, plural, perhaps of transcendent beings, Colossians 1.16, but in view of the reference to things seen and unseen, in the, very, sorry, in the same verse, it is probable that the author thinks also of earthly rulers. In other words, if Jesus Christ has been triumphant over supernatural rulers, you can guarantee that he's been triumphant over earthly rulers as well. So notice, whether it's thrones, whether it's dominions, we've seen that one, or rulers, we've seen that one, or authorities, we've seen that one. All things have been created through him and for him. All things. Now you say, well, wait a second. If all things have been created through him and for him, how did they get bad? They sinned. Everybody see that? Because sin starts within a person. God didn't make them sin. They chose to not follow what God said and did their own thing. Everybody know that angels sinned, right? Yes? We don't seem sure. Does everybody know that angels sin? Yes, we do. And because they have, they've chosen to go in that direction. Guess what? They want you there too. They don't care if you're a child of God or not. In fact, if they can get a child of God to live in a way that denies his existence and disobeys him, that's the greatest advertisement for Satan that he's ever put on a billboard. See, Christ didn't do nothing in their life. The reason why Christ doesn't do anything in a Christian's life sometimes is because we don't honestly know him. We've come to believe Him. Yes, I believe He can save me from His sins. I believe He's the Savior. We haven't taken the plunge to get to understand the riches of grace that are available to us. Now, I want you to write this down if you wouldn't mind. Colossians 2, 13 through 15, because that's an important verse as well. Time is not going to allow for me to hit that, okay? Here's what I would like you to do. Go back to Ephesians. Colossians 2, 13 through 15, if you want to write that down. It talks about Jesus putting the demonic forces on a public display. In other words, it was eternally embarrassing for them when he resurrected from the grave and was ascended to the right hand of God. Everybody turn back to Ephesians 6. This is a spiritual warfare verse. This is commonly known as the armor of God. A lot of books that have been written about this have been written toward the individual. The context in this book is not about the individual Christian. This is about the church. What the church needs to do. Look what he says in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now stop, that's important. Number one, it says that the devil's schemes are going to come after us. That's a reality. Just because you get saved doesn't mean that you're on a beach in Hawaii somewhere. 
In fact, I would say that life gets harder. Why is that? Because now you've got demonic forces against you. Before, they didn't want you to know they were there because you were moving in the same direction they were. You had the same destination in the lake of fire. But now that you've seen the light of the gospel and you believed in Christ, you have eternal life, something they don't have. And so they're going to do everything that they can to destroy your life. You have a Savior that's greater than that. It's not until we get our eyes off of Him that we end up having these issues. Put on the full armor of God. He tells us what we need to do so that we will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12. If you want to meditate on one verse out of all of today, this is it. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our fights are not against other human beings. If I have a disagreement with Zach, it's not because of Zach. That's not the issue. If you have a disagreement with your wife or your husband, they are not the problem. And the one that you have the disagreement was like, yeah, that's right, I'm not the problem. It's the other one, right? No. We can't afford for our minds to get into that prideful thinking. That's them fishing for us. Yeah. Exalt yourself. But notice, Paul takes the blindfold off of it. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Have we seen that word? Yeah, same book. The rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you want to know where the struggle is, it's not marital. It's not about your job. It's not about your lot in life. It's spiritual. I find that hard to believe. That's okay. That's why God gave us this in the Bible so we could read it over and over until our minds are convinced that what he's telling us is the truth. It's never about the person around you. It's always spiritual in nature. And in order for it to be dealt with properly, it has to be dealt with spiritually. Notice what it says here, verse 13, Therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Here's a question. Resist what? sin. Because oftentimes when we get in a situation where we feel the friction, sin is our answer out. That's our trap door of escape. That's our Scooby-Doo secret panel. I'll just sin. That'll get me out. No. Put on the full armor of God and stand. Don't sin. He says here, You'll be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. Do you think that Paul wants us to stand? Stand, 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 stand. Employ what God has given you. Put it on. It's like a shirt. Just put on that shirt and represent that team faithfully. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. That's whenever they would pull the robes up and tuck them in their belt so that they could run. Making it so that you could move about ably with truth. What is truth? It's God's Word. We talk to God by praying. He talks to us through His Word. Remember, if you want to hear God's audible voice, you read it out loud. Some of you will get that later. 
having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, covering your heart. Because that's where Satan will want to strike. That somehow we're not accepted before God. That you might not really be saved, because would a real Christian commit a sin like that? Yes. That's why I need a Savior. The Bible's full of Christians who committed terrible sins. But that's why righteousness is based on Christ, not on my performance. And that's where my eyes go. That's putting on the armor. Getting the focus right. Notice the next one. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, being ready at any moment to act upon the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus died for sins and is raised from the grave, period. That's it. Are your feet ready with that? How about the next one? And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith. Now here's where we get weird. Well, how do I know that I believed that I believed that I believe? I've heard people argue this for forever. Here's a question. Are you convinced that Jesus died for your sins? You sit there and you go, yeah, that's right. Guess what? You're saved. You don't have to have some kind of mystical experience. Your eyes don't need to roll back in your head. You don't have to breathe fire. You're fine. If you've believed, it's a done deal. And you have eternal life. You don't have to get the willies in order to make it happen. It's done. So in order to have that shield of faith, you say, wait a second. I remember the moment when I came face to face with Jesus Christ and everybody has to have an answer for Jesus. And when I heard the gospel, I was convinced, yes, that's true. Notice, there's your shield. You're in the family of God. There's your shield. You are a child of God. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's your shield. How about the next one? With which you're able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation. What has Christ done for me? We need to know about words like justification, sanctification, and glorification. There should be no ignorant Christians in this assembly at all. And we need to have that covering our minds because it's all about the work that Christ has done, is doing, or will do, and it's all based on Him, not me. Him. Therefore, my mind keeps looking forward to Him, looking upward to Him, because that's what God wants to do. God wants to move us forward, and He wants to keep us looking upward, always. Now here's where I have a lot of fun. And the sword of the Spirit makes me wish I had a sword. The sword of the Spirit, and he tells you what that is so it doesn't seem mystical and weird, which is the Word of God, which is the Word of God. Everybody see it? Which is the what? Word of God. The Word of God. It is the Bible. Everybody see the word? Word. Everybody see it? Look down. Look down. Look down your Bible. Or look up here if you didn't bring your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, you have no sword. I want you to write this down. This word for word of God in the Greek is rhema. This is incredibly important for you to understand. R-H-E-M-A. Rhema. R-H-E-M-A. Every time that this is used in the New Testament, it deals in the context of things that have been verbally, audibly spoken. 
it deals with the idea of something that has come out of somebody's mouth, and he spoke the word to them, rhema. Now, why is that important? Here's why. Because on your seats, I put down cards. All of you have got some different cards. This section over here has like Romans 5. This section here has John 15. This section over here has something else. I just spread them all out because they were leftovers. And I thought, what better thing to do with them than get them in the hands of people? Why is that? Because I need to be verbalizing God's word because that's your offensive weapon to fight the enemy. Well, that'll be weird. People will think I'm talking to myself. People already think you're weird. Okay? Let's just accept it. Let's just accept it. But having God's word ready in such a way as to where I've saturated on it to the point to where it flows out of me so that I am able to deal with it. Why? Because the enemy is going to tell me you're worth nothing. You're garbage. You're such a disappointment to your father. Why can't you do better? Why can't you be a better husband? I can't believe you talk to your child that way. Yeah, you're no good. You're junk. If we bought into it long enough, the spiritual forces press even more. Why don't you go ahead and kill yourself and get it over with? Nobody loves you. You think suicide's not a problem over this past year and a half? And nobody had answers. We prescribed a whole lot of medicine. There are some people who made money off that. And isn't it interesting that every time you read the side effects for that medicine that they prescribe you, suicidal thoughts is one of the side effects. we got a truth problem. How do you deal with thoughts like that? I am God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works that He prepared beforehand that I should walk in. Because trust me, the world's always going to tell me I'm less than what God says I am. And I am never going to be able to live up to the aspirations that maybe many people have for me, and most importantly, that I stipulate upon myself. What's incredible is all of that falls into one group. They're all opinions that don't matter. None. What other people think about us don't matter at all. And you can tell I mean it because my grammar is horrible. What matters? The only thing that matters is what God says about us. The only thing that matters is accessing the power that Christ died and raised and ascended to give us as the church. How is that power manifested in our lives? Scripture on our lips. That's how it happens. Now you can look, the other offensive weapon here is prayer, but let's be honest, how do we know to pray in such a way that is pleasing to God? It's because we're praying His Word. I'm scared to turn this over, I don't even know what this is, I'm scared to death it's going to backfire on me. Romans 8, 12 and 13, so then brethren, we're not under obligation, or we're under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Is that a good verse? That's a sword right there. These are throwing stars. Good grief. 
The guys understand this. Let, let's, not, let's not pretend that we, don't, that we don't have access to the truth, and therefore we should believe everything that it's telling us. If God's taking the time to give it to us, He wants us to know about these spiritually dark forces. He wants us to understand that they can have influence on us. He wants us to recognize that because we are so tethered to Christ by His blood, they have no power over us unless we allow for those things to happen. And He has given us the only tool to verbalize, to successfully change everything about our lives for God's glory. It's simply having His Word on our mouths. Is that you? Are you prepared when the darts come to turn around with Scripture? And deal with it. Let's pray. Father, today, in light of this information, is a new day for us in the body of Christ. Where we can recognize the importance of having your promises on our hearts and minds and lips. So that we can deal with spiritual attack. For some of us, this may sound crazy. Fine. Doesn't mean it's not true. We may have a hard time leaning into this. It just so happens that doubt is the favorite tool of the enemy. But your word has told us Christ is victorious over all dark forces. He is triumphant over the grave and over sin, and over death, and over hell. He has ascended to the right hand, awaiting, awaiting the time when you will hand the throne to Him. And all things are being put in subjection under His feet. And you have not left us helpless. You have hidden us with Christ in Yourself. You have given us the indwelling Holy Spirit. You have provided us with copies of your word, and we need to manifest that truth in our lives through our words, banking all hope upon the truth that you have. Jesus modeled this when he was tempted by Satan, quoting from Deuteronomy three times to deal with spiritual attack. God, help us to immerse ourselves so that the word of God would dwell in us richly and we would find that joy abounds because we've cast off the temptations towards depression and negativity and complaining and self-loathing and self-aggrandizing. Instead, we've sought humility because the Word calls us to humility. We've sought joy and peace in the Lord because that's what's been made available to us in the Lord. We've sought out for the Comforter to be that Comforter to us because He is indwelling us. God has promised that to us. Father, I pray this changes our hearts and minds and we walk out of here a better equipped people to live the Monday through Saturday grind. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.